Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. Ethereum, which is the second largest cryptocurrency out there, has changed their monetary policy about 30 different times over the course of its lifetime. And that's not very different than the Fed. The Fed uh, decides the monetary policy, including when to expand the money supply, when to contract the money supply. Um, so really, you don't get the benefits of decentralization as you would with Bitcoin. And that's why um, I'm pro-Bitcoin and not really pro-Altcoin. You know, a lot of central banks are starting to explore this area. They're called central bank digital currencies. Uh, China, in particular, is using it as a way to create a surveillance system over its entire population and to uh, use its social credit system as a way to deny certain people rights. Hi again, and welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. Gabe will join us in a bit. I'm Paul Perot. You know, technology has changed the way we live, act, interact, relate. I grew up in the 1970s and 80s. Then there was no internet. Phones were on the wall or on the counter where you could only just get a few feet away from it because of the cord. So privacy in your house was harder. I even remember when I was really young, we had a party line where several households shared a line. When it came to things like money and finance, yeah, there were credit cards, but mainly we paid with cash or check. Investing and banking was far less complex, and as for our money, yeah, there was the dollar. Well, now, in the Internet age, things are more connected and a lot more complex. And when it comes to money supplies, well, thanks to things like cryptocurrency, there is more than just one type of money available to you. So, how do we think well and apply biblical wisdom to much of our increasingly complex, technology-driven world? We want to focus on that on this week's show. For example, when it comes to social media, how do you deal with false information, like what happened during the recent election cycles? Who controls your personal data? Who's responsible to regulate these large companies? (laughs) Those are all hotly debated issues. Bottom line, what are the rules for these new frontiers? Who's making them? Actually, even behind that, what worldview helps to guide the rules that are being made? Well, last spring at the Culture Summit, we heard a talk from Travis Mason. Travis has 12 years of technical experience designing effective regulatory and public policy strategies for the adoption of emerging technologies, working with many tech-driven companies, including Google. And he gave a talk about the rules for rules. Let's listen in. When any system fails to withstand the inrush of change, it fails to live up to its promise. On August 14, 2003, at approximately 3.39 p.m., a transmission line in northern Ohio tripped, and there began the largest blackout in U.S. history. How many of you all remember it? 
because the power went out in New York City, in places like Toronto, and in places like Detroit. And by 4.30 that day, over 50 million people were impacted across eight states and in the northeastern region of Canada. Water systems lost pressure, air transportation systems went offline, and financial systems went offline. Over 500 generating units and 256 power plants stopped functioning. When any system is unable to handle the inrush of change, it fails to live up to its promise. The 2003 blackout was a vivid reminder of what happens when a system is overloaded and has no inrush capacity. Inrush capacity is what electrical engineers call the ability to withstand a sudden inrush of change. Like electricity, these new, elect these new emerging technologies will show up faster than we think. And I know it seems like a pipe dream when you see Google delivering things via drone or Elon Musk talking about artificial intelligence. But this fourth industrial revolution, as they call it, comes with new levels of velocity, comes with new levels of scale and force our planet has never seen. The breadth of this change will impact nearly every country, and the depth of this change will alter how we live, move, work, how we get funded, how we exchange dollars and cents, how we treat disease, who gets treated for disease, and even how we wage war. And honestly, no matter how brilliant and innovative these new technologies are, if our social, cultural, and political systems are not prepared for the inrush of change, failure will occur. Regulating emerging technologies is a complex problem that I can't talk about in the nine minutes that Gabe gave me, but what I can say is that it will look different in North America, it will look different in South America, Japan, China, Russia will handle it differently than the UK, than Germany and France. It's a complex problem. But in the absence of solutions, the best we can do is increase our inrush capacity. And this doesn't just apply to emerging technologies. Whether we're leading an organization or managing a household, at some point, change knocks on our door and we have to have the capacity to handle it. Any system that is unable to withstand the inrush of change will fail to live up to its promise. So what can we do to increase inrush capacity? When President Bush and the Prime Minister of Canada uh, commissioned a report on the blackout, they found four main causes of the blackout. And one of those causes may surprise you they found that inadequate tree trimming, inadequate tree trimming was one of the main causes of the 2003 blackout. Try to tell the 50 million people that in 80 degrees they lost power because someone didn't trim the trees. The report actually said that if the trees had been trimmed, the three transmission lines that tripped would have still been operational and the scale of the blackout may not have occurred. Similarly, as we think about the future, of our organizations, of our society, if we don't trim away the overgrowth and the excessive harms today, we will have problems tomorrow. I've spent my career working in some pretty amazing places, and I want to talk about three excessive harms that, in my opinion, need to be trimmed, and then I'll sit down. The first excessive harm is excessive bias. Despite our technological advancements, 
The people who are the least among us still have problems getting access to technology. And despite our work, men still dominate the teams in Silicon Valley. They dominate what's designed, and they also dominate what gets funded. If we don't trim the excessive bias that we have in Silicon Valley today, future innovations that change things like healthcare, that will change our legal systems, and that even will define our transportation systems, will exclude and potentially harm the least among us. If you remember, when the car started to scale, women impacted more injuries than men because the men designed the test dummies after themselves. When we don't trim away a bias, it can have extreme harm. The other thing is we have excessive addiction. Designing for addiction is not the exception, it's the rule in Silicon Valley. Experts in psychology and sociology are some of the most important hires for people who are building dopamine-driven feedback loops in games and in other things that we can download on our phones. And if we don't pay attention, to the harm that's being caused to our physical and emotional well-being today. As technology augments more of our lives, we will become slaves to it. And this is not a must-do. This is a should-do. Because if we lose our mental and physical well-being to the promise of emerging technologies, then we will lose everything. The last one is excessive inattention. I had something really scary happen to me over the last couple months. I went to the doctor, and he said, how'd you find me? I said, I found you on Yelp, man. You got the best reviews, so I came here. And he said, good, because you have one of the worst infections of the cornea that I've ever seen. And it was tough because in my right eye, I could see everything. In my left eye, I could see nothing. And if any of you have ever had things with your eye, when one goes out, it really affects the good one. So you, you saw me watching TV like this, or covering my eye and just trying to ensure that the blurred eye didn't affect the clear eye. And also, any of you have ever had issues with your leg or your arm, or those of you who prefer a certain side of your face, you try to lean in on the good side, <laughs> the good side that actually works, the one that's the clearest. And despite all my work in Silicon Valley, in pretty innovative churches and other organizations, you see a habit with people who push for future. They have a propensity to lean in on the clarity of the vision and lean away on the blur of the details. And honestly, as technology changes how we live, how we work, how we move, how we find love, how we love, <laughs> as it changes dollars and cents being moved from point A to point B, and even how we wage war, the vision is too clear and the details are too unclear. And you see this. Mark Zuckerberg, who has a vision to connect people, connect data, is standing before the Senate saying, oh, I don't know what happened with the data. Or the banks, who are responsible for moving money from point A to point B, said, Wells Fargo said, I don't know what happened to the money. Big vision, no clarity on details, inattention to the details. And if we're not careful, our excessive addiction, our excessive inattention, and our excessive privilege and bias will put us in a bad situation for the future. Any system that's incapable of handling an in-rush change will fail to live up to its promise. God bless you all.
inrush change. Now, there's a new concept to think about as we contemplate all that we're facing with our emerging technologies. Well, again, that was Travis Mason. That talk from him came from last year's Culture Summit called Rules for Rules. Again, this is Q Ideas. And Gabe now joining us as we continue to seek to think well about our emerging technologies, including in the area of money and finance. And Gabe, that means we're going to talk next about cryptocurrency. We're talking Bitcoin. We're talking about the future of currency and how we should think well about it. And this is one of those topics that obviously for many people has been on their minds for the last few years. But today it's becoming more important and more people are aware of it. More people are thinking about it. They're trying to catch up on understanding what is this discussion about cryptocurrency? Should I have some? Is it trustworthy? Is it going to just go away? How do we think about it? So we invited an expert on Bitcoin, and we created a conversation around this called A Bitcoin Future, where I interviewed Jimmy Song a year ago, specifically talking about Bitcoin, where it was going, how we should think about it. And he lays out some incredible thoughts that if you're new to this conversation, if you've thought a lot about it, I think you'll start to see what is the morality behind the idea of digital currency, of Bitcoin, of crypto? And you'll start to hear a conversation, maybe from a different angle that you're not reading about anywhere, no matter where you're getting your information around currency. And so he's the author of a book called Thank God for Bitcoin, The Creation, Corruption, and Redemption of Money. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Let's listen to now. Let's first talk about currency. Uh, people don't always fully understand currency. We kind of use our dollars. They buy things. They're worth a certain amount. But currency is complex. And as you've talked about the U.S. dollar, the euro, we, we need to better understand how currency is used. So just give us a, a quick education on that. Yeah, the current monetary system is what we would call central bank-backed fiat currency. And this is very different than what it used to be. The banknotes used to actually represent a certain amount of gold. Um, but since 1971, when uh, Richard Nixon cut the ties to gold, uh, we basically had a currency that is free-floating. It, it, it's not backed by anything. So as a result, whenever the central bank, commercial banks, re residential banks, whenever they loan out extra money, uh, whether it be for a budget deficit or for you know corporate bonds or for a mortgage, all of that money comes into the system ex nihilo, out of nothing. And that has some serious consequences, and that's what we wrote about in Thank God for Bitcoin, among other things. But it is a highly immoral system of theft, corruption, and cronyism. Yeah, so fiat currency is any currency that isn't backed by real gold or silver. And the U.S. has been in that situation now for 50 years. It, it doesn't last long for a currency to move from, from being truly able to be used to this position of fiat. Plenty of people are writing about how we're coming to the conclusion as we print money. Um, you make the case that printing money is immoral. Will you just talk more about the morality of money? Yeah, sure. Uh, so any time that uh, money is printed, when the supply of the U.S. dollar, for example, expands, What's actually happening is that everyone that holds that currency is being diluted just a little bit, and eventually that leads to a loss in purchasing power, like we're seeing right now in a lot of different commodities, lumber, aluminum, copper, plastics, you know, computer chips. All of these things have gone up in price over the last year in large part because the federal government ha or the, fe uh, the Federal Reserve has 
uh, expanded the money supply from something around 15.5 trillion to 19.5 trillion, and that that's starting to come into the marketplace. So, in essence, what's happening is that the Federal Reserve is able to print money uh, by diluting the current holders of that money, and it's not just people in the U.S. that are holders. It's not people. Uh, U.S. citizens uh, or U.S. companies that hold the dollar. It's a lot of other people, too, including other central banks, of course, who hold the dollar as a reserve currency, but also, you know, normal people in other countries. And in fact, in some of the poorest countries in the world, they hold the U.S. dollar as their method of savings because their currency is even worse. So places like Venezuela and Zimbabwe, for example, definitely love the U.S. dollar and they hold it. Um, people in North Korea even uh, use the U.S. dollar for black market trade because that, that holds its value. So in essence, every time the money is expanded, money is being stolen from these people. And, it's, yeah. and we're all complicit in this. It's not just the federal government that's deficit spending like crazy or you know state governments that are deficit spending. It's also corporations that are taking out these giant loans. Those right. loans come into existence for the purpose of uh, of these businesses. And even when we take out our mortgages, we are essentially create, uh, the bank is creating money on our behalf, thus diluting the supply of money all over the world just by a tiny bit. So every time we're taking out loans, we're essentially stealing from some of the poorest and most vulnerable people in the, on the planet. Let's talk about Bitcoin. I know that's where you've written your book and, and you understand Bitcoin more than a lot of people and its value. Why has it become so appealing over the last 13 years? Yeah, the appeal of Bitcoin is that it's digital gold. It's a, it's a way to store a value, but it has the convenience of a digital object. So gold doesn't require any permission for you to hold or to gather. If you, if you want to be a gold miner in your backyard using a shovel, you can uh, you're not likely to find much gold, but you are allowed to do that. Uh, whereas if you print a $20 bill in your, in your home, you're going to get arrested by the Secret Service. So it's decentralized like gold, uh, but it's also digital. Um, much like m most of the payment networks that exist, um, it makes it a lot more convenient to trade. Uh, so if you wanted to trade with gold, it would be very difficult uh, oftentimes because you have to actually bring the gold. This is why you have so many ships that sunk with a lot of treasure on them because they have actually have to bring the gold to, uh, uh, to trade for goods and services. So uh, as a result of that, what you have is something that's both digital and decentralized, doesn't require any permission, um, and therefore is a better money. And on top of that, it has an absolute scarcity. Um, so there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. Unlike the U.S. dollar, which uh, continues expanding roughly at around 7% a year for the last 62 years or so. Um, and that, that makes it a better money for everybody um, because you have integrity. It doesn't allow anyone to sort of steal uh, like you, uh, you can with the Federal Reserve, where the people that have access to loans can essentially um, get... Uh, the benefits of that expansion of money supply. With, with Bitcoin, you, you don't have that. And it's, it's an absolute limit. It makes for a much better currency and it's much harder to cheat. Yeah, so Bitcoin is a currency currently that it cannot be controlled by a Federal Reserve and that makes it hold its value it, it, is I think what you're communicating here. But my question to you is it seems like a lot of banks and corporations are now pretty motivated to get into cryptocurrencies. We're seeing different ones pop up that, that they maybe could control. 
Uh, are those good? Should people be thinking about those currencies as well? Or you think, man, if you're getting into crypto, Bitcoin's the only one that's going to really give you the freedom and the value that you really want to have long term? Yeah, so this is the big difference between Bitcoin and all of the other cryptocurrencies, which we call altcoins. They're called alternative currencies, but they have the property that they're not decentralized. They usually have a founder or a core developer team that changes the rules and sets the monetary policy. So uh, Ethereum, which is the second largest cryptocurrency out there, has changed their monetary policy about 30 different times over the course of its lifetime. And that's not very different than the Fed. The Fed uh, decides the monetary policy, including when to expand the money supply, when to contract the money, money supply. Um, similar things have happened in Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies that exist. So really, you don't get the benefits of decentralization as you would with Bitcoin. And that's why um, you know, I, I'm, I'm pro-Bitcoin and not really pro-altcoin. Um, also, you know, a lot of central banks are starting to explore this area. They're called central bank digital currencies. Uh, China, in particular, is using it as a way to create a, uh, a surveillance system over its entire population and to... Uh, use its social credit system as a way to deny certain people rights. Um, I, I'm sure many of you have heard of the Uyghurs in China who have been uh, horribly oppressed in that region. Um, you know, central bank digital currency would give them even more tools to track and do things like that. So I, I think many of these alternate um, consumptions of cryptocurrency are misguided and just as ripe with corruption. Well, and it also seems, Jimmy, you're arguing for a biblical view of how we even think about money, borrowing power. Um, talk a little bit about that view from your from your perspective on the biblical view of how we ought to think about money. Yeah, so the biblical view of money is sowing and reaping, right? You, sow, you, you reap what you sow. You sow first, you work the land, you raise the cattle, you do whatever, and then you get the rewards of whatever you work for. The current fiat system is completely backwards. Essentially, what, what ends up happening is that we bring consumption forward through debt. So we essentially get what we want right now, and this is at every level. This is at the retail level, at the state level, at the company level, at the federal level. Everyone gets what they want now by going into debt, and then they're enslaved for however long the term of the loan is. This is uh, the verse in Proverbs that the, lend, uh, the borrower is servant to the lender. And that's how the entire system is kind of set up. And any parent can tell you that the better thing for a character for a kid is not to give them something and then make them pay it off later. It's to have them work for it and then get the just rewards of their sowing um, through reaping the rewards of their saving. Uh, unfortunately, the current system is backwards and very corrupting to our character. And uh, something like Bitcoin encourages saving. Sound money encourages saving and allows a more biblical playing out of uh, what we're meant to be. Well, Jimmy, I'm so grateful for how deep you've dove into this subject matter and how much you're helping us today. Can't you guys see a future? He's like, he's like the Dave Ramsey of, of Bitcoin in the future, right? He's going to help people understand how to think about digital currency and Bitcoin. Jimmy, thank you for being with us. Thank you for sharing your insights. Let's thank him for his time. Well, I hope you appreciated just hearing from Jimmy. Joyful, fun. Yeah, the kind of guy who's thinking ahead about the world of money and cryptocurrency. And again, Gabe, things are really changing fast in this arena. That talk from Jimmy was given last spring at the 2021 Culture Summit. Now, a year later from when he gave this talk, 
One of the things he specifically said, you just heard him say it, is now coming to be. And this is what I love about the way we're trying to pursue conversations at Q Ideas. We're trying to help you think a little bit ahead of maybe where everybody else is and to think well about it, about what does it mean to understand how to navigate our current culture. But he specifically said, here's his quote. He just said it. Also, a lot of central banks are beginning to explore this area. They're called central bank digital currencies. China in particular is using it as a way to create a surveillance system over its entire population and use its social credit system as a way to deny people rights. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of the Uyghur people who have been horribly oppressed in that region. Unfortunately, the current system is backwards and very corrupting to our characters. Yeah, and as you talk about Jimmy and his predictions, just a few weeks ago at the 2022 Culture Summit, we looked at the issue of China and the Uyghurs. There was a talk from Rashan Abbas of the Campaign for Uyghurs, talking about their plight at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party, and then other speakers dealing with technology and surveillance. Uh, getting back to what Jimmy was talking about, Gabe, while he was big on the whole idea of Bitcoin, he was concerned about government-controlled digital currencies being used for surveillance. Many people aren't aware of the central banks beginning to create their own currencies to compete with things like Bitcoin. But this is the new future. And if you're not aware of it, we need to become aware of it. We've got to be smart and think about how are we going to do transaction? Where's the line on privacy? How is this going to function? And what is the true design of these currencies? Is it really to create freedom and exchange, or is it to create some sense of control and surveillance? Mm, government surveillance via digital currency. Just one of the concerns resulting from our new technologies. And again, just a few weeks ago, Gabe and his team talked about that and more issues around our technologies at the most recent Culture Summit. Maybe you weren't able to attend. Well, you can still get a digital pass to watch all the main talks either by yourself or with your organization or your church. Visit qideas.org slash 2022. Again, technology was only one area that Gabe and the speakers covered. They looked at many other topics about the future of our republic, the future of farming, moving beyond racism, plus some great conversations about what it means to be a human, embracing your limitations and finding a good balance in life. Again, you can get a digital pass and watch all the main talks at qideas.org slash 2022. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot, and on behalf of Gabe, have a great week. We hope you listen again next time. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.